Before we begin, dear listeners, a slight taciturn admonition. Tonight's episode is not for the faint of heart, even amongst our most enthusiastic of listeners. There will be elements of grotesquerie, body horror, and violence. Characters will endure and conduct unethical medical experimentation, often through the use of coercion. There will be unpleasant descriptions, and occasionally unpleasant sounds. Listen of your own volition, and remember this. You were warned. And now, without further ado, let us begin. Dr. von Leichenberg? Albert? May we speak? I'm sorry, Frederick. No, now is not a good time. I'm in the middle of something... I am afraid it cannot wait. But I really must... I insist. Very well, then. Shall we sit? Hmm? If this discussion must be held immediately... We will be comfortable while we have it, I think. Now, what can I do for you? What is the order? It was not what I intended to ask, not what I thought I wanted to know, but somehow those were the words that came from my lips. It was as if a great weight lifted from the doctor. He let out a long breath and sat more comfortably in his chair. I should have expected this. You are, Frederick, in your own way, as ambitious as I, I think. I should have realized, once you learned of their existence, it would be a matter of time before you sought membership. Though this was the furthest thing from my mind, I did not correct him. He seemed willing to speak, and I had no interest in accidentally changing that. The members of the esoteric order of the all-seeing eye are not to discuss it with outsiders. However, as neither of us are members, such prohibitions do not apply. So, I will tell you what I know. And when it has been told, you shall decide upon the path you shall walk. And with that, he resettled himself more comfortably in the armchair and proceeded to once again tell me the story of his quest to find true healing and true power, this time including that which he had previously omitted. The old one's account led me four hours east, deep into New South Wales and the Mungo Bush. The manuscript was exactly where she had said it would be inside the cairn, set on a large obsidian stone that was not of the strata around it. 
she had not warned, may not even have known the condition. I picked it up, and it crumbled. I tried, Frederick. I truly tried to save it, but nothing could be done. In the end, only one remained. The ritual of Pli Aya. As you may surmise, it is not enough to know one thing alone. But, knowing one, I had currency to trade on while finding more. The Order are the gatekeepers. They bar and lock the doors of knowledge. One may not enter without paying their toll. And now I could arrive not as a beggar with cap in hand. So you are now a member. <laughs> Would that the doors were thrown open so easily. But you have the ritual. And they did not find it to be suitably impressing. So I continue my studies. As I have told you, with your help, I have come near to the breakthrough they demand. I am so close to the answer, but it remains just past my fingers. You see now why I must work, Frederick. Why I must not slow or rest. There is an answer, and finding it will pay the price to learn all other answers. You're really going to tell me the doctor that no one has heard of was doing research into some kind of magic spell he found in Australia? So he could get into some secret group with a fancy name so he could learn more magic spells? That's the story you're going to go with? The truth is not a story, detective. So you are going for insanity? I have told you I am of sound mind. Right. Let's get back to Miss Stanley. I don't understand why you continue to shift the focus to Lorraine. She really has very little impact on my narrative. Very little impact? You heartless son of a bitch! Beg pardon? I've seen her pictures. The ones from before she... I think of what you did to that beautiful lass and... You don't care at all, do you? Have you had your blood pressure monitored recently, Detective? Your superficial temporal vein is standing out quite alarmingly. When we found her, she was still... I am aware of how she was. She was still alive. Like that, and still alive. And it doesn't bother you at all. It bothers me. You don't give one shite. It's written all over you. I certainly did. No, you didn't. Just go ahead and admit it. You didn't care about her any more than you did any other animal you tested on. That... That is an exaggeration. I, of course, cared about Lorraine more than... I must say, this is a great deal more like what I anticipated from a police interrogation. So what happened? The doctor came to my assistance. 
He had previously seen Lorraine as a distraction, but with time I believe he began to reclassify her as an act of hindrance to my own growth, of which I was not able to rid myself. I found out later that he had overheard the last disagreement between she and I, and I think he was, in his own way, attempting to do me a favor. Some favor. It was her disappearance which made me question as to whether the doctor was restricting himself to animal test subjects. What's that supposed to mean? The longer I went without hearing from her, the more concerned I became that she intended to follow through on her threat, to go to the doctor directly and force him to dismiss me from his employ. She is not used to being refused, and the Stanley family has considerable resources with which to apply pressure. So, when about a week later I heard strange noises from the doctor's workroom, I, uh... I'm ashamed to admit it, but I put a glass to the wall, to hear more clearly what was being said inside. Not to listen in, simply to make sure that it was not Lorraine who was with him. But it was not her voice I heard. Instead, I heard the rough voice of a woman begging the doctor to kill her. Let's say I'm considering the idea that this Dr. von Leichenberg of yours actually exists. He does. Right. Like I said, gonna go along with you here. How come you are still on his side? I don't follow. You gave me that whole song and dance about wanting to be a healer. To save humanity from itself or something. And now that the doctor who's supposed to be a, what do you call it, mentor, pretty clearly has some horrendous shite going on. You were pretty goddamn hard on him when you thought he was a fake. Testing on humans got to be a lot more harmful. How come you were still on board? In retrospect, I can see that it was obvious he had begun human testing. At the time, however, I, uh... Didn't they connect the dots? To my chagrin, yes. Please, God. No more. I can't. Please. Please let me die. Just... Just kill me. Please. Oh, dear Lord. What is... Doctor! What is happening in there? Albert, let me in! What are you- Open the door, Doctor! Or I will- I will- Oh. oh my god in heaven. What are you doing, Dr. Leichenberg? What? Who is this? Dear boy. Everything is quite all right. I am afraid, sir, that this does not at all look all right. <laughs> Who is she? <laughs> I must ask you to step away from her, Doctor. Frederick. Please step away. Hello. Are you, uh... Are you well? I assure you, Frederick, she is well. 
That is, as well as can be expected for a person in her condition. I would like to hear that from her, if you don't mind. And I'm afraid that won't be possible. Stay back. Frederick. What had he done? Who was it? Was it her? Uh, I'm sorry, who? Lorraine. Stanley. What? No. No, of course not. Oh. It was a woman I'd never seen before. At least I thought I hadn't, but her condition. It was possible. I simply did not recognize her. It was impossible to determine her age, or indeed much about her at all, save that she was human, and likely female. She... must I? Must I describe her situation? It isn't entirely relevant to the matter at hand, and I would yeah, rather... you do. She... She did not appear to have arms, though closer inspection showed that while her left did indeed end just below the shoulder, her right was simply wasted and atrophied to such a degree that it was nothing more than skin stretched over bone, lacking even the musculature necessary to facilitate the most basic movements. She wore a heavy, dark blue smock-type garment, but even with the garment's concealing colour, the stains were obvious. From where I stood, I could not see the injuries that caused them, only the residue of blood and pus and lymph that had soaked into and through the fabric. She had been placed atop the doctor's work table, and her legs, which still appeared whole and healthy, were affixed to it with the shackles I had observed previously. But it was her face. In the war, I had treated a soldier who had thrown himself on a grenade, rather than let it kill his comrades. They survived, and when they returned to the States, they were decorated for their bravery. But when I first saw them, this woman's face, it was like theirs. Worse than theirs, somehow, for every horrible wound was clean and without blood. One eye was an empty, ruined crag. The other leaked fluid from underneath a sagging lid. Her nose was entirely absent. Her left cheek had collapsed inward, lacking its underlying frame of teeth and jawbone. Her right swollen and distended and next to her, as composed as if there were any other patient, stood the doctor. Doctor! Frederick, please may I introduce Gloria Franklin. She has kindly volunteered to be a part of our grand experiment toward the betterment of humanity. I... Oh, I, uh... We have been working together for some weeks now. I... but... I would still... Miss Franklin, you are, in fact, here of your own volition. She attempted to speak. I could see her damaged face and thin neck work with the effort to produce words. But she produced no sound. Ah. I knew this day would come. I'd hoped we had longer. Thank you.
Thank you, Gloria. We've done more than enough today. Please, let me help you back. Doctor, please, allow me. Most kind, Frederick. Thank you. Up close, the damage was even more apparent, yet somehow less disconcerting. She was simply another patient, albeit one with a more extreme condition than I had treated since returning to the city. The doctor opened one of the doors in the back wall of his workroom and motioned for me to take her there. What had previously been a large closet had been turned into a quite adequate patient room, complete with two cots. I placed her carefully in bed, then drew the clean white sheet over her and carefully arranged her remaining arm atop it. Her hand was missing the first finger and just as atrophied as the rest of the limb. And then... And then there seemed to be nothing else to do but to return to the doctor and yet again ask to be brought deeper into the true nature of his work. I am truly sorry, Frederick. How long has this been going on? A few weeks. No more. And she lives here? Only very recently. At first, she came to and from the clinic as needed. She would accept the injuries, then return to her home. Lately, however, it has become too difficult for her to move on her own, so I have begun to house her here. What... what is... that is, what are you... what does she... She is ill. Terminally so. Even without those injuries. She does not have much time. And she wished to make the end of her life worthwhile. Surely you can heal her. I'm afraid not even I have that power. I don't understand. The ritual. Your medicine. Bring about wonders, yes. But not even they can stop death when the patient is so far gone. If she'd come to me even a few months earlier. Alas, she did not. And so all we have is this. But, Doctor, if she wanted... That is to say, if this was truly her wish, then why... I heard, overheard, her ask... I heard her ask you to kill her. <sighs> Miss Franklin is a courageous woman. But even the brave may be overcome by pain. And this pain, even through the morphine, is significant. And it is, sadly, enough to let the baser, less noble part of the human mind cry out. In a way, I regret she has lost her powers of speech. Expressing one's suffering in words can 
That's a balm to a troubled mind. I wish that remained to her. I see. I understand this is hard to accept, Frederick. Everything in you is crying out to end her pain, to fix that which is broken, just as would any doctor. But I also know you understand that sometimes one must also cause pain to end it. That some treatments are, in their way, worse than the disease. She suffers this pain such that we may learn to do more, do better for others. I... why? How... That is... Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> oh, my dear boy. Despite all you have experienced, you have retained your belief in the basic goodness of humanity. It's selfish, but I did not want to taint that, nor add this burden to your physician's soul. After I learned the truth about Dr. von Leichenberg's research, that he had moved on to willing human subjects, things became easier between us. It was as if the last wall between us had come down and he could now see me as fully as equal, and his research partner in reality and not simply in name. There was no longer a need to hide either his methods or his subjects from me, so I was finally given the opportunity to study the mechanisms by which his medication worked. Which is to say I began to study the ritual, and the ways in which the doctor had begun to modify it to be a more effective tool. And this is the point, detective, at which I would not blame you for doubting the veracity of my story. Hmm? It would be reasonable here for you to think me to be lying. Are you? I'm not. Keep talking, then. The ritual was complex, with multiple parts that must be performed in the correct manner and in the correct order, though I was never privy to more than one step at a time. It became my duty to keep a record of each performance, the ways in which the doctor had altered it, and the results of that alteration, whether positive or negative, as well as tracking effects that manifested on the subjects both donating and accepting injuries. Between Miss Franklin and Mr. Miller, we were able Mr. to... Mr. Miller? Uh, who's that? Uh, 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 Wilson Miller, our second test subject. Was he dying too? As it happens, no. Uh, he, uh, I'm rather ashamed to admit this, but he became part of the trial for financial reasons. You paid some fella to let you kill him? Of course not. We paid him for the use of his body, which was likely to result in his death. But he was informed of the risks. He knew what he would likely experience, and what was at stake should we be successful. How the hell do you sleep at night? With two subjects and two active researchers, we were able to make much more rapid progress. Dr. Leichenberg had previously determined that whichever hand wrote the ritual symbols would be the receiver of the wound. 
However, the writing did not need to be done by the receiver, which is to say an amputated digit could be used by someone more practiced in the script without making them the receiver. This method reliably worked for both human and non-human subjects. Uh, however, as the doctor had observed, the transfer was much more efficient and with fewer side effects to both donor and doctor with a human receiver. In fact, uh, and this we stumbled upon quite by chance, which finger was used had a surprisingly dramatic effect on the yeah, outcome of the ritual. don't need to go into all of that. I'm, so, uh, I'm sorry? Are you sure? It's really quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Move on. For a time, I was, uh... I was, I think, happy. I know you'll say it's sick or morbid, but we were doing good. Or at least I thought we were. And while, yes, pain was being caused and lives were being shortened, it was in the quest for something greater. Yes, the injuries Miss Franklin and Mr. Miller received were, uh, intense... But they were here of their own volition, and always, always supplied with as much anesthetic as they needed, and we could safely administer. It was bloody, even disgusting work, but no more so than had my role been in the war. And here, just as there, I was filling a necessary role in bringing humanity closer to a state of perfect health. The only thing that continued to trouble me was the doctor's fits after performing treatment. The longer we worked, the more severe they seemed to become. Doctor? Here, here, here. Just come, just come with me. Just, it's all right. I've got you. I've got you. Catch your breath. Come on, let's, let's get you sat down. I can help you. Come on. Here. Let me help. Are you all right? I'm perfectly fine. I mean no disrespect, sir, but this does not seem to be the case. You... these fits seem to be worsening. Every time you... is that blood? Patience, of course. I don't think... Leave it, Frederick. Yes, sir. But... Is this the cost, Doctor? For the ritual. Let me share it. Let me carry this burden with you. Who told you about cost? I, uh... And that is... You know nothing. Do not assume you do. I will not speak of this further. But, Doctor, I... Leave me. But... Get out! Though I did as he asked, and refrained from discussing it further, my concern remained. Grew, in fact, with each passing day. Though between episodes the doctor's apparent health remained the same, the episodes themselves grew more and more severe. He began to wear a surgical mask and gloves at all times, and a heavy, dark sweater under his lab coat, making his appearance unsettling, particularly when one happened upon him unawares. In attitude, he remained the cheerful, unfailingly kind man I had come to care about quite dearly, but I could not lie to myself and say everything was as it should be. I decided that if he would not unburden himself to me, I would seek out someone else who might have that knowledge. 
As I previously mentioned, it was easy to locate Maximilian Coleman, even while it was difficult to speak to him. I decided that attempting to obtain an appointment with the man himself was a poor use of my time, and instead turned my attention to determining the identity of his fellow, the one called Alistair. He seemed to occupy a much less lofty place within the hierarchy of this order of the all-seeing eye, and uh, thus might be an easier source of information. You figured you could bully him into talking to you? Well, yes. And it did end up being rather effective. But that meeting was something to see. It ended up being far less difficult to locate the man than I had feared. Alistair was, in fact, Alistair Vincent. I found his name among a list of graduate students at Deakin University, and a simple telephone call to the registrar's office was all that was required to obtain his address. I told her I was with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And, uh, Mr. Vincent was a person of interest in a matter of great importance upon which I was not at liberty to elaborate. But that failure to comply would delay an ongoing inquest. He had an apartment near the university campus, and it was there that I confronted him. Who, um... Who are you again? Kent. Frederick Kent, an associate of Dr. Albert von Leichenberg. Uh, Dr. von... What? I'm, uh... I'm not, I'm not familiar with that name. Where did you say he worked? I didn't. He is conducting independent research. Uh, oh, well, I don't know him. So, you can leave now. I'm afraid that isn't the answer I need, Mr. Vincent. What? Let me tell you how this will go. I will ask you a question and you will answer it. Otherwise... Uh, otherwise... what? I, I, um... I, I just, um... Uh, otherwise... It, it's a sort of a threat. Oh. Well... I don't know him. <clears throat> I think Mr. Coleman and the Order would say differently. Uh, you remember... That is... W what is this, um... Order you're speaking of? Alistair. Can I call you Alistair? All you need to do is tell me everything you know about Dr. von Leichenberg's work, especially the cost which the ritual demands of him, and I won't tell the rest of your little Order that you're relaying their secrets to anyone who asks. But I, um, I haven't told you anything. Who are they going to believe, you or me? Me? You're not... You're supposed to... He gets sick every time he treats someone, and it's getting worse. I don't want him to... I... The world needs him, but he won't let me help him. He won't even tell me what is happening. Oh, you're his friend. No, no, I'm, I'm just... Yes, all right, I am, and I can't watch him kill himself. Please, tell me what is happening. Well, all rituals have a cost that must be paid, one that is in proportion and kind to the desired effect, because like demands like. A ritual done to Pliliaia, therefore, will demand a sacrifice. I'm, so, I'm sorry, a ritual to what? Pliliaia, the eater of wounds. Ah. As I was saying, it will demand a sacrifice of the body, 
And that is what's being taken. A sacrifice of the body. Exactly. What sort of sacrifice? I am... I'm not sure. You must know. He won't tell me either. <sighs> then you're of no use at all. He writes it down. What? Albert, he told me. He, he writes everything down. He documents his research like a proper little scientist. I've seen his notes. He has another set that he keeps locked in a box in his office. He wouldn't even show them to Mr. Coleman, but it's all there. Everything, what he does, how it works, and what happens to him. Thank you, Mr. Vincent. This has been a most informative conversation. So, you're running around playing detective because you think the old guy you work with, who says he's completely fine, is getting sick because of the magic he does, while your fiancé is missing. You still going to tell me you loved her? I did. I was just distracted. At the time, other things seemed so much more important. When did you find out about Miss Stanley? I uh, don't remember precisely. Like hell you don't. I... I realised she hadn't visited again about uh, three weeks after our final argument. Three goddamn weeks? I told you I was worrying about so many other things. The time got away from me. So, you somehow missed the citywide search for her. The posters with the full-colour pictures? Did you know they got them specially printed to match the exact blonde shade of her hair and the blue of her eyes? You missed the ads in the newspaper? Well, I, uh... I want to say, no way you're that oblivious. But you know. So, what happened when you finally woke up and took a look around? I suppose at first I thought she was just off sulking somewhere. Sulking for over a month? Without contacting anyone? When you say it like that, it sounds like such an obvious cause for concern. At the time, uh, well, as I imagine you've realised, Detective, I could be quite single-minded when my interest in something has been aroused. You don't say. Let me guess. Even after you found out she disappeared, you were so busy looking for the doctor's notes, you didn't have time to do anything about it. Well, not exactly, yeah. It is... to a point. Uh, it is... Yes. I still thought that she would turn up. <sighs> what happened next? I expected that the doctor's personal notes would be in his workroom. Given that I was now trusted with access, I thought it would simply be a matter of patience and thoroughness to locate them. I wish now that it had taken much longer, though I doubt delay would have changed the ultimate outcome. So, you found something? Several somethings. Though at first I could not see the entire picture they formed. Okay. While I did not believe Mr. Vincent to be a reliable source of information, I decided to begin my search where he indicated the notes would be, in a box somewhere in the doctor's office. So, one day, when the doctor laid himself down to rest after a particularly bad spell, I conducted a search. I didn't 
Victor Albert is the type to have a cat-shaped paperweight, but that could have simply been close to hand. Hmm. Another paperweight. Also a cat. Books. Netter's Atlas of Human Anatomy, the Index Medicus. Another paperweight. Also a cat. Oh, I didn't know that Doctor read novels. Triumph of the Bone Queen, the White-Eyed Pirate's Horde. I never would have thought. <gasps> the Song of the Feral Servant. I'd always wanted to read that. Ah, another cat paperweight. How unexpected. The Merc Manual. Not in the cupboards, so then desk or closet? I mean, it seems rude. I mean, the man's wardrobe should be his private. But I need those notes. It's for his own good. What a fine gabardine, and I've never seen him wear it. Nothing but coats. Wait. These shoes they seem far too small. Besides the heels, the pointed toe. I think Lorraine had something like this. Surely they wouldn't fit. Yeah, well, to each his own. And still no notes. Paper, pens, pipe. Oh, I... Hmm. Well, I suppose this is a rather rough neighborhood. I suppose it makes sense to keep a gun on hand. Oh, nothing under... Oh, is this... March 21st, Subject X has successfully received a fracture of the left femur. Let me back to the beginning of the earliest pages. December 12th, Subject V. December 20th, Subject V. January 17th, Subject VI. February 8th, all the way through yesterday. These must be the notes. I... I can't take them. He'd notice that. I'll just have to read what I can now and come back to finish later if I must. July 13. Relocation complete. Have established residency in warehouse. Laboratory modifications completed with help from contacts AV. Workspace includes storage for subjects, as well as materials. As prior subjects were discarded during relocation, new procurement has begun. July 19. New subject 1, 2, 3 acquired and introduced to study protocol. Amputation of left distal appendage digitus secundus successful. August 1. Subject 2 deceased. Apparent COD exsanguination. Security for storage of remaining subjects increased. August 12. Have resumed experimentation in cost transference. In light of previous failures, all further testing will be done with numeric subjects. Attempts will be made to determine reasons that numeric subjects are so much more receptive than alphabetic subjects were. September 15. No change in cost as a result of most recent experiments. Growth of limb in center of thorax continuous. 
It is now 43.1 centimeters long, ending in a three-digited hand. Growth of limbs accompanied by overwhelming weakness, tussis, and cephalgia. September 18. Experiments have accelerated cost accumulation rather than slowing it. Thoracular limb 50.3 centimeters, fully articulated, reverting to previous protocol. October 9. Subject 3 successfully accepted partial cost. Bone transformation of researcher's mandible has decreased such that it is no longer visible. Subject 3 has developed hard-edged mandible. October 10. Subject 3 deceased. COD, respiratory obstruction by mandible and maxillary, leading to hypoxia. October 13. Subjects 4 and 5 are quiet, inducted into study protocol of poor quality. AV stated it was difficult to find quality subjects. Immediately used an experiment. Cost to researcher manifested as recurrence of hard-edged mandible, accompanied by small, approx. 6 centimeters, possibly vestigial maxillae. November 22. In past week, all attempts to transfer cost have failed. Cost to researcher. Fully developed mandible and maxillae. Thoracular limb, 72.3 centimeters. With apparent adult proportions. Complete. Four-fingered hand. Subjects 1, 4, and 5 deceased. COD, blunt force trauma. Unrelated to research. December 3. AV has located potential patron. In absence of subjects, research halted. December 8. Subject 6 acquired and inducted into study protocol. Inclusion of this subject may be unwise, but at this time it seemed a much more valuable use than it was previously serving. We reserve subject for special research. Have been forced to administer high-dose sedatives. December 15. MK has agreed to support research and advocate for acceptance to O when it is successful. Further, has agreed to supply AV with resources for subject procurement. Subject storage relocated. Subject 7, 8 acquired and introduced into study protocol. Considering beginning study on subject 6. December 30. FK overly curious. No further success in transferring cost from researcher to subject. Researcher has begun to develop second thoracular limb, not apparently analogous to any human limb. As I read, I found it strange the way the doctor discussed the subjects. He made no mention of their species, or their ages, weights, or any other metric that might affect the tests. But then this notebook seemed to be a quite abbreviated sort of documentation. Given that I was already aware of two sets of notes, it seemed plausible that he had a third with objective measurements recorded and studied. I wanted to read more, to finish out the last few pages, but I heard movement from the doctor's rooms. I quickly replaced the manuscript and left his office. 
Let me see if I got this right. All that stuff about feracular limbs. He was saying he grew an arm out of his gut? Yes, and insectoid mouth parts on his mouth. That was the cost they were talking about. Turning into a goddamn bug? Yes. Well, no, not precisely. What do you mean? He was not turning into an insect. He was, however, being changed. Into what? It seems that the price of conducting the ritual of Pliyaya is to have your own physical form gradually replaced with the body of the creature itself. <laughs> 